All right, well, welcome back to Counterculture. Maybe I should be welcoming me back to Counterculture. It was great to be away last week. But man, weren't you guys blessed with Jerry? Wasn't that amazing? Man, our students are in such great hands. And you know, I, I could tell you that all day long, but once you get to see that and experience that, you certainly get to know, wow, they really are so grateful for who he is and for just even that incredible message about the Jesus encounter and the, what we need to do with that and how we need to go and we need to spread and we need to share. Well, we are in this series called Counterculture, and in this series, Counterculture, that what we are doing is we are looking at this most famous message that Jesus ever spoke, that he ever delivered. But I think about what we've got going on right now, and I think, man, we've got a lot happening between now and the end of the year. We have this fall family picnic that's going to be next Sunday, where if you got kids, have them, we're encouraging guys to, to bring costumes, and we're going to have a costume contest. Bring your lunch. It is a picnic, and so bring your lunch, bring your drinks, bring a chair, bring a blanket. And if you're so inclined to want some ice cream, we're going to be having a food truck, and that's going to be a cash truck. And so you're going to need to bring $3 cash for all those ice creams that you're going to want to be getting. And so just certainly want to encourage you guys to do that, be here. Great time of fellowship for us. We've got Bling Ministry. They're going to be having their Friendsgiving in November. We've got our Kids Crazy Community Party happening in December. we just got a lot going on. It's just a great time to be plugging in and jumping in all in with church and being able to just find community with each other. Well, with this counterculture message, Jesus comes along and he says, I'm going to give you guys this most famous message that ever got recorded, and it's his first message that gets recorded as well, and it's this Sermon on the Mount, and it's in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, and we've been looking at the very, we've been looking at the very beginning of this, and when we look at this and we see, and you take a deep dive into this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gives, not just the Beatitudes that we're in, but the whole thing, what you end up seeing and discovering is that Jesus laid out his manifesto for how you and I can live a life with lasting happiness. That, that what is it we can do and how is it that we can do it so that we can find some lasting happiness in life? That, that happiness seems to just kind of drift away. But as Jesus is talking about these blessings, a blessed is when he talks about these blessings that we can all have, he's talking about, hey, here's a way that you can have this lasting happiness. And as he's talked through some of these already that we've looked at. He's talked through, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Talk about blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Talk about blessed are the meek. Why? Because they're going to inherit the earth. And what Jesus does in these, these messages that he teaches, it, it has the power to change our lives forever. If we will listen to and heed what it is that Jesus is teaching as he's going through each of these Beatitudes. And as we look at these Beatitudes, don't think of the Beatitudes as this um, extra credit assignment for Christianity. Oh, if you want some extra credit, here's what you... It's not an extra credit assignment. The, the Beatitudes, it's the core assignment. That if we could get this and understand, this is the core assignment for each of us. That this is what we should be doing. And so this is what we want to be doing. And so as we get into this and we understand more about this, that today we're going to pick it up with blessed are those who hunger and thirst. That that's what we're going to be talking about today. And some of you guys might be going, well, Will, I feel a little blessed right about now. You know, how soon are we getting out of here? You know, because you're going, I'm, I'm a little hungry. Well, Cheryl and I, we actually met about 30 years ago to this day. And 
when we started dating and get, we didn't know each other before we met, and we, as we started to get to know each other, she ended up sharing something with me, a word that, that I have never heard before. And the word is hangry. Now, some of you guys probably use that word. Any, any hangry users out there? You guys use that word? Yeah. So the rest of us were like, what, what, what's that? It, it's when you're so hungry that if you don't get something, you're going to start getting angry in the way that you're going to be reacting and treating other people. So it's kind of like, hey, you, you need to make sure you're feeding me. And so she was letting me know that she had reached a point of being hangry. And I was like, okay, well, we need to take care of that because I certainly don't want you being angry. Well, when it comes to food and, and when it comes to water, the, the, the experts tell us that we can go about 40 days without any food and we can go about three days without any water. That's how long we can survive without those two. And Jesus, he wants us to know that there is a blessedness that happens when, when there is a hunger and a thirsting. But, but let's look specifically at what he was saying and what he was getting at. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Matthew 5, 6. But blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not just blessed if you're feeling hungry and thirsty. It's when what you're hungry and thirsty for is, is the things that are right in God's eyes. That, that those things, if you're hungry for his righteousness, then you're going to end up being filled. That this hunger and thirst, it's this, it's this strong desire. It, it is this deep need that, that we end up feeling. And so let's look at this in a couple of other translations, try to understand it a little bit better. This is in uh, God's Word translation. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God's approval, for they will be satisfied. Now, I think there's many times that people are going, hey, I just want God's approval. But if you're not hungering and thirsting for it, then you're not redirecting your life to how he would want you to be living your life. And there is, there, there needs to be this hungering and thirsting for it before we're going to see the results of what's going to happen, of the, that we will be satisfied. And then when we look at the Good News translation, happier those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires. And God will satisfy them fully. I, I think we live in a time that there are a lot of people that are not satisfied. Just where they are, just where they're looking. Maybe I'm even talking to you. But, but, but there's just this lack of being satisfied with our lives. And as we, we, we look at this, and we, I, I'm just not satisfied, and, and, and people will try different things. It'll be, uh, you know what, I, I, I need to not be married to you. I need to be married to somebody else. I need to have another kid. I need a different career. I need a different friendship circle. And, and that we can try a lot of different things. And, and, and as we try all these other things, if we leave God out of the equation, everything that we try, even though some of these things can be a good thing, everything that we try it's still going to leave us wanting, and we're not going to be satisfied. We're not going to be full. It's not until we bring God into the equation that we end up finding a satisfaction when we end up doing what God requires of us. Well, that's a good question then. That what, what does God require of us? And we find that in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, this very question, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God, that, that we would act justly in the way that we, we treat other people, that, that not only would we be just with them, that we'd even be giving mercy to those that, that could use some mercy from us, and that we would what walk humbly with our God. 
Well, what does that mean to walk humbly with God? I think what it means to walk humbly with God is that when we don't bring our agenda and say, hey, God, I need you to bless this, and we're going to do this, and this is how I want to do it, so can you make that happen? That's not walking humbly with God. Walking humbly with God is listening to Him and following where He leads. And it's trusting that His plan is better than our plan. That, that, that doing what He wants us to do is better than us doing what we want to do. And this is what the Lord requires of us. That we would act justly, that we would love mercy, and that we would walk humbly with our God. Well, one of the standout people when we read through our New Old Testament is a guy named Solomon, and he became king, King Solomon. And, and there's a couple of things that, that really stand out with Solomon, and that is, is that he was the wisest and wealthiest person of his time and maybe of, of all time. That when I think about trying to measure his wealth, when we talk about here's this guy that was just so wealthy, that I just think of people like a Mark Zuckerberg, or we think of a Jeff Bezos, or we think of a Bill Gates, we think of an Elon Musk, and we can think of these people that just seem to have a lot of wealth. But historians that have studied what his wealth would be today have gotten out their calculators and what they have figured out, that his wealth today, if he just had today what he had then, he would have 2.3 trillion dollars. That's the kind of wealth that he had. And it's hard to kind of look and see and compare what, what, his, what his wisdom was. But, but Solomon, he, he writes this book of Proverbs, this book of wisdom, and then he writes another book too. And, and then this other book that he ends up writing, it, it's really a, a book about the lack of satisfaction that he's finding in life. And as he, as he writes this, this book, the dealing with this lack of, of satisfaction, it's, it's more of a memoir of, of his journey through trying to discover where, where, where can I find meaning and significance and value and satisfaction. He starts in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 with, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow, and the more knowledge, the more grief. And when, when I see this verse, it reminds me that, that we have some great age-appropriate learning environments for, for our kids and our teenagers. And, and, and when you let your kids kind of guide and direct them to that, that, that we give them the, the best environment for them. And, and I think about if you let them come in here, then they get to hear a verse like Ecclesiastes 1.13, and they start going, uh, hey, mom, mom, did, did you see that? That more knowledge... More grief. And so I, I don't think I should do my homework today. I, I don't think I need to study anymore because if, if you just want me to keep learning, you're, you're just telling me you want me to get more grief in my life. And mom, do you, do you really want that for me? And it's like, man, all of a sudden we get kids that come in here and they start getting motivated to learn and memorize scripture. <laughs> I'm memorizing Ecclesiastes 1.18, you know. Well, well, while you're at it, let me give you another one if you want to memorize some verses. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. That this is when he's getting near the end and concluding in chapter 12 that he's realizing this and he's going, hey, I, th this is hard on us. And so again, parents, I, th I think you're probably better off keeping them in a better age-appropriate environment so that they aren't coming in here and getting this kind of ammunition from me when it comes to what they're doing with their studies. Well, Solomon, he ends up having a goal. 
And he sets some goals, and he pursues some dreams, and, and he begins to just let us know what's going on. And he says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired, and I refused my heart and no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. What's the reward? Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. That Solomon had become a workaholic. That he had become a studentaholic too. That he studied all that he could study and he got his associates and then he got his bachelor's, he got his master's, he got his doctorate. He did continued studies and then became this workaholic and he just kept giving himself to everything that he could find worthwhile to be able to grow his kingdom. And in he's doing all of this, he ends up concluding that, that, that all of this is meaningless because what he discovered is it's both the foolish and the wise, they both die. No, nothing changes for them. And so as he continues, he says, so I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. That, that he realized that, that more money can't do it when it comes to being satisfied. Uh, another hobby, it's just not going to do it. It's not going to bring the satisfaction that, that he is craving, that he is hungry for, that he wants. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them. Oh, look what we've got. Now we've got this. And, and they just keep feasting their eyes on what they had. That the Solomon, the, the, he, he was very popular as a king. And Solomon, he, he, he was never alone. In fact, that people paid him annually to be able to come around and be able to hear his wisdom. He, he was never alone. But yet he was lonely. He wasn't satisfied. And he knew he's, he's missing out. There, there, there's got to be more to life that he's not finding and discovering. He says, and he's talking about himself, but there was a man all alone, and he had neither son nor brother, and there was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This, too, is meaningless, a miserable business, that, that he, he fills his life with, with an abundance of women, with an abundance of wine, and an abundance of warriors. And God had even warned him against this, but yet he did it anyway. And as he did this, that we can see just, just how much did, did he end up collecting this abundance of women. Well, we can find this in the book of 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 3. He had, this is not a typo, 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And his wives led him astray. They didn't lead him toward God. They led him away from God. 
He's on this pursuit, and he's just trying to find satisfaction in life. And the search for satisfaction, it's common. All of us want want, want to search for satisfaction. All of us want to find satisfaction in life. This is not a, a wrong thing to be looking for, but finding satisfaction is uncommon. Actually finding it and finding the source of it and finding how it is something that I can have and I can hold and I can keep, this is rare. In fact, there's probably a theologian that, that you're a little familiar with. He talked about this, put a little ditty together. His name is Mick Jagger. And he says, I can't get no. So, yeah, you know about this theologian, don't you? I can't get no satisfaction, and I try, and I try, and I try, and I try. And, and he talks about it in the song of, of trying to get it through wealth, trying to get it through women. He, and he's going, I can't get no satisfaction. Because he's trying to gain it. Minus God. He, he's trying to gain it without letting Christ come in. And I think for some, I, I think that that the reason that they're against Christianity and they push back against it is because they think of Christianity as something where God takes from you. And they don't understand that Christianity is about being blessed by God. It's about how God is adding to you. And when when, when there's this resistance and we're stiff-arming God, we're missing out on being able to find the very satisfaction that God wants us to have. And so, as Solomon gets near the end, he's starting to bring his conclusions together. He says, now all has been heard, and here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. And this is where some people, wherever you're at on your faith journey, can go, check. Because I'm kind of afraid of that guy. I'm afraid that he's not going to give me what I want. I'm afraid that he wants something for me that I, I don't want for myself. I'm, I'm afraid that, that he's going to make me do something if I get serious about living for him. I'm afraid of what he's going to do if I continue to just live life for myself. That, that a lot of people understand fear God with this kind of fear. But that's not what Solomon is driving at. In fact, what he's driving at He's driving at this view of fear, of fear God, means to revere God. And I think the best way that I could help you understand this, if you don't grasp this, if you kind of wrestle with this, is is let me take you back to Matthew chapter 4, and this is where Jesus was tempted. He was tempted three times by Satan after fasting for 40 days. And and it was this time that, that he ends up being tempted. Let's just look at this third temptation that Satan does. He says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now, I, I really don't know what Satan was doing. He says, hey, come come, 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 come. I want, I want you to see all of this. Where Jesus is going, um, I, I made this. I, I know about you're not showing me anything I don't know. 
but, but, he, but he plays along with them and, and he lets them do this and he, and he hears them say, hey, if you will bow down and worship, I'll, I'll just give you all of this. He's like, I created it all. But what Jesus does here is he does the same thing he did with the first two temptations. He quotes scripture. Okay, so what does he say? Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, this, this revere God is to, is to fear God, and, and that's really what I want to drive home with you guys and hope you guys to see this and kind of have this wake-up moment and be able to catch this, because Jesus is actually quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. And so let's look at Deuteronomy 6, 13, when Jesus is quoting it, and he says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only, All right? Keep that in mind. It's going away. Worship the Lord your God, serve him only. Fear the Lord your God and serve him only. That Jesus knew what it really means to, to fear God with his healthy revere, it's, it's I'm worshiping him, I'm bowing down to him, I'm, I'm living my life submitting to him. And that that fear is a worship, it is a revere the way we would revere him, that you and I, that we would bow our lives before him. That's revering him. And that's where we're going to get the blessed life. And so Solomon, he says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. This is the duty. So let me share with you two things keeping us from hungering for God. There's these two things that keep us from this. One is we fill up with wrong things. To think about it when you're at home, that you got your fridge and it's full of healthy food. You got your counter, it's got some fresh fruit on it, you know, but if you're like me, what do you do? You go to the pantry and you look for the junk. And you start filling up on that junk. That, that when you're, if you're like me, that, that my growing up years would be something like this. I would hear my mom say, don't eat that as I was having junk in front of me because supper's about ready to be served. And it was saving me from that. Now, I like going out to eat. I'm sure some of you guys do too as well. And one of the favorite things for me to do when I'm going out to eat is going out and getting some good Tex-Mex food. And you know what happens with good Tex-Mex food is they bring you out free chips and salsa. Anybody getting hangry? <laughs> they do. And I end up filling up on the chips and salsa before they ever bring out my fajitas. And I just, I do, I keep eating this. And I take it, take it, take it, take it. And I'm okay with it. Restaurant, take, take, take your time, take your time. Because I'm just enjoying the chips and the salsa. And I don't realize, and it happens every time, I don't realize I'm filling myself up. And then they bring out the main course of fajitas, and I put my fajita together, and I eat the my, and I get through one fajita. And I'm done. Because I've filled up on the chips and the salsa. That, that what happened is I allowed myself to be filled on things that weren't sustaining or satisfying. And in turn, I end up getting hungry again so much quicker. And I don't have the energy 
to sustain me. And that's what happens. And yet I think this is what also happens with you and I when it comes to our own spiritual walk. Is it that we end up snacking on things that aren't the righteous things of God. And so it stops us from hungering and thirsting for his righteousness. And we don't enjoy his main course and we don't fill up on that and let that be what satisfies us and what sustains us. And so there's a lesson here for us with what is it that we're going to end up filling our lives on. That what we need to fill our lives with is what's going to last and what's going to satisfy. And, and I wonder for you and for me, that, that if you and I, if we were to be writing our own book like Ecclesiastes, what would we be writing? What are all the things that, that we keep trying and yet we can't find satisfaction? That we've tried it all, we've done it all, and yet we still aren't satisfied. That what we need to understand about sin is that sin tastes great, but it's satisfaction. It isn't sustaining. And the thing about it as well is once you get that taste for it, because it does, it tastes good. When you do start to feel like you got a little room for something else, you turn right back to it because that tasted good. But it just doesn't satisfy and it causes us to return back to it sooner and keep going back to what doesn't sustain. About Moses, says he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. That he knew it, that they just don't last, that they fleet away, that Moses, he was hungry and he was thirsty. For the things of God. That he couldn't get enough of this. In Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 55. Come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money. Come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money. And without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread. And your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare if you do this. So I want to share with you these things, and so these two things are that one, we, we, when it comes to hunger, we fill up with wrong things, but secondly, we've never experienced God's goodness. So Mexican food is my favorite food, Tex-Mex version of Mexican food. But when I moved to Texas, I wouldn't even try it. Wasn't even interested in it. And my version of, of Mexican food was crispy tacos. That's all I thought of. And, it, and, and, and then we would go to a couple of, and they'd put these chips and salsa. Well, I'd eat the chips, but I wouldn't taste the salsa. But eventually, my little narrow food palate was willing to try it. And when I did, I went, wow, this is good. In fact, I, I actually got introduced to fajitas through Taco Cabana. Now, I always pass on Taco Cabana tacos now, right? But, but that's how I got introduced to it, was that way. But until you begin to experience something and know that it is good, it's hard to want for it. 
It's hard to long for it. And some have never experienced God's goodness, and so they don't know to be going after it. That is so good. I want that for myself. And we've got to learn to try and taste and see. And so in Psalm 34, verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good and blesses the one who takes refuge in him. But there's this tasty, I've got I've to be willing to give my, my life's effort, my life's energy, my life's focus to, to, to tasting and see just how good the Lord is before I can ever discover how good he is. I've, I've got to try this. I've got to be motivated to do this. When I, when I think about people and people of, of kind of a faith that's just kind of gotten started and it's a little half-baked and they really haven't let much happen with it, that, that they end up missing out on the good things of God. Because they're not willing to, to go out there and see, hey, God, what else do you have for me? And they miss out on being plugged into a community group, a small group, a journey team is what we call ours. That, that they, they miss out on, on volunteering and being part of something. They, they miss out on, on, on being somebody that's going to be baptized and saying, hey, I'm serious. I took a step of faith and now I want to get into that water and I want you guys to see. They, they just do. And it's like, no, I don't, I don't need to go to a small group. I, people don't need to hear about my life. I don't need to get in that baptism water. I, God, God and me, he, we know it. We're, we're good. I, I don't know that I'm willing to give my, my time or my effort. I, I'm not sure I know enough. I'm not sure they want me. And, and people end up missing out on experiencing the goodness of God because we talk ourselves out of the very things that allow us to experience His goodness. And we've got to be willing to step out and be able to taste his goodness, to be able to have that. You ever invited somebody to church and they were like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't do church. I, I, don't, I don't go to church. And, and I, I think if you invite somebody, and I think the next time that you invite them and they give you an answer like that, you just need to ask them, well, what, what is it about church that's left a bad taste in your mouth? Why, why is it you wouldn't go to church? And when they give you whatever the answer that is, probably your best answer, your best follow-up is, well, I wouldn't go to a church like that either. And let them know that what they experienced wasn't what God wanted them to experience when it comes to Him. And, and you can invite them here, and there's several great churches in our community you could be inviting them to as well. But we sometimes miss out on the goodness of God because we've had a bad experience and say, nope, no more. I'm not going to do anything with that. I'm just going to pass on that. So in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says, And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And, and the reason that, that somebody might give you to say, I don't do church anymore, they're not going to be saying, you know, that whenever I step into a church, I just feel God's love so much, and I just don't like, it makes me uncomfortable. I doubt that's what you're hearing. And he wants us to, to experience just how, how long and wide and high and deep his love is for us. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That righteousness 
Righteousness is right standing with God. What does the Lord require of you? And, and, and that we, if we hunger and thirst for what His righteousness, we hunger and thirst for a right standing with Him, that we're going to be filled. And in John chapter 6, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. He fed 5,000 people, and, and so now he's come along. They're asking him some questions. And Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. That they were telling Jesus in this dialogue, hey, listen, we, we know Moses, and, and we know that he would, would call on this, this manna, and it would just fall from the sky, and that we would be able to have bread every day, and they would just come six days a week, and, and, and then we'd have enough on the sixth day that we could have enough for the seventh day, too. And, and, and Jesus said, no, no it's, it wasn't Moses that was providing that. It, it was your heavenly Father that was doing this for you, true bread. And he says, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. If you don't know this, Jesus would refer to himself as the bread of life. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. This bread that gives life, that's the bread that we want. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. If you stay with them and stay connected and you you just make sure that that you're not going, hey, I'm going to go from week to week, but I'm going to keep a daily connection with my Heavenly Father. That we'll never be hungry and we'll never be thirsty. We're going to be filled. We're going to be satisfied in this life. But we get distracted. And distraction, is, it's, it's an enemy to our devotion, to our Heavenly Father. So we need to, to do all we can to set aside the distractions so that we can maintain our devotion to Him. And when we do this, we're filled. And the only way to happiness that lasts is to thirst for God's holiness. That that would be what we would hunger and thirst for. That, that would be where you and I would, would have our ambition in life, this hunger and this thirst, that we would be ambitious and we would direct our lives to the things of God and let ambition work for us instead of against us. Because if we put our ambition toward the wrong things, it's going to pull us away from God instead of pulling us to God. Maybe for you, you came in here today and you were going, I'm, I'm not satisfied. Maybe even today as we just kind of look at, at Solomon and, and what he was sharing and what he was telling others, that you're going, hey, that's, that's kind of me. I, I've tried a lot of different things and everything I keep trying, it just doesn't last. And I'm just not satisfied. But I know I need it. You can have it when you begin to understand the relationship that your Heavenly Father has in store for you with His Son. And if you've already begun that relationship, 
It's, it's about putting away the distraction, stop nibbling on the chips, and hunger and thirst for the real things of God. But if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, then that's where you have to start. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to ask if, if you're somebody that you're here today and you've never opened up your heart and your life to genuinely let Jesus come in and be your Lord and your Savior. And that you are hungry enough and thirsty enough that you know that you just aren't being filled with everything else you try. And now you're ready to experience God by letting Him be the Lord of your life. If you've never done this, never given your life to Him, and you're ready to do that today, would you just raise your hand and just make quick eye contact with me and it'd just be you letting me know. That's me. I see you. I'm ready to be satisfied. And I'm ready to be filled. But I need that. Is there anybody else this morning that this would be you? Well, if you're online or whether you're here, I just want to lead you in a time of prayer. And that you would just pray this prayer in the silence of your heart to your Heavenly Father. God, I need you. I've tried everything I know to try. Trying to find satisfaction. And nothing works and nothing lasts. So today, I give myself to you. And I admit that I've got these sins, these faults, that I've not lived up to a life that you want me to live, not even a life that I've wanted me to live. And so I confess my need for you. And I ask you to forgive me from trying everything but you. Thank you for welcoming me and accepting me. And right now, I give all I know me to be to all I know you to be. Jesus, it's in your name that I pray. Amen.